Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Voices of the Vic. Episode 4 now. Episode four, God, we're uh, we we getting we getting through them at the moment, and uh, as always, I'm I'm joined by uh, my co-host Ben Ayton. Ben, hello, how are you? Yeah, not bad, mate. I'm, I'm all right. Yeah, no, I'm all right. I've, I'm a bit bit pissed off last night after last yeah. night's performance. Um, mood got better today. Um, just mm. seeing the apologies that came out, <laughs> uh, which we'll probably touch upon, and that's it's, it's rattled me again, if I'm yeah. honest. Um, so yeah. I'm all right. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, this this podcast. Uh, I, I mean, first of all, before we go into anything, I want to say if you've not listened to from the rookery end, please do because oh, like, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, my god, it's spot on. Dean. Absolutely spot on. I thought they were absolutely superb. It's obviously after watching performances like we watched on Sunday, uh, yesterday as we record this, like it's hard to come out and do a podcast. Uh, obviously. We're doing it. We're recording the day after on the Monday, and you guys are hearing it on the Tuesday. But me and Ben sort of had a discussion on whether we thought maybe speaking straight after the game was a good idea. But I think we probably would have never been able to produce a podcast ever again, and would have been kicked off every server going for the language that we would have been using. So we've decided we'll give a we'll give it a day, and uh, we'll, we'll sleep we'll, on it. We'll sleep on it, and like Ben said, the. Uh, one of the apologies isn't uh, hasn't been uh, received very well by not just us but by uh, a lot of people. But yeah, unfortunately, it's another podcast and it's another defeat that we're having to talk about. So if you don't know what we're on about, Sunday we obviously played Southampton. We had the chance last week against Burnley to go four points clear in the chasing pack. We decided nope, we're not going to do that and uh, lost to a very depleted Burnley side. And then yesterday, we had another chance to beat Southampton. Uh, well, we had a chance to beat Southampton and go four points clear again. So second time round, you know, who knows? Maybe the lads have had a rocket from Nigel Pearson and hopefully a step in the right direction. But it, it was far from that, which we'll, we'll go through in this podcast. And yeah, it was a 3-1 defeat. So I want to start at the very beginning. So... Obviously, we we did the usual pre-match stuff. I, I'm not sure what what you got up to and whatnot, but uh, I was on the the fan wall again, which I really need to stop doing because we've not won yet. So, um, 
in lead up to kick off, we was texting saying how nervous we feel and whatnot because you know Southampton, like we said in the last pod, they'd picked up. They were sixth in the away form table, uh, and they were excellent on the road. So we knew it wasn't going to be easy. When those lineups come through, and we saw three changes against from the side that started against Burnley, what was your initial reaction then from the lineup? I was positive. I liked the lineup. I liked that Cathcock came back in for Cabaselli. Um Decore came in for Cleverly. Uh, the only one that I probably wouldn't have done was Welbeck coming out and Pereira coming in. Mm. But other than that, I thought it was a um, yeah a good starting eleven. I thought we could we could go for um, Southampton and actually put in a decent performance and get something out of the game. Mm. No, I uh, I totally agree. You know, it, it, it was evident when we spoke last that perhaps Christian Cabaselli wasn't at his best against Burnley. So to to not start him and to start Kafkar, I think, was the, the right idea pre-match. And um, with Decore coming in, again, that was pre-match absolutely the right thing to do. Um, and then, like you say, Pereira, we were sort of, a few of us were scratching our heads thinking, you know, hang on a minute, he, he didn't perhaps apply himself very well against Leicester. Um, uh, maybe Pearson's had a word with him since and said, look, you know, I, I know that you're, you're leaving, but, you know, let do your best because on his day you can see why we got him from Juventus exactly um, on his day he's a world class player isn't he exactly he, he gets into the Argentinian squad with uh, Messi um, he wouldn't have played for Juventus if he wasn't that good of a player um, and if, there's a reason why we signed him because yeah. he is a good player it's just he's inconsistent that's the only issue we've got yeah and I think at the time actually when we bought him he was our record signing at the time as well he was yeah so, you know, we, we, we don't... Teams tend not to splash their record signing on players that are naff, although uh, once I was at success was our record signing, say no more. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, no, the, other than that, I thought, OK, let, let's see what we've got. And on the subs bench, we don't usually go into the subs bench, but there's a reason we're doing it. It was usual Gomez, Cleverley, Holobas, Cabaselli, Mariapa, João Pedro... Alberto Penaranda, Ignacio Pacetto, and Danny Welbeck. So, two notable names that weren't on there, and three names altogether that weren't on there for a particular reason. And we'll talk about it now because, again, if you don't know, Andre Gray, Nathaniel Chalabat, and Domingos, Dominguez Quina all missed out due to Andre's lockdown party so it was Andre Gray's birthday um, and he decided he was going to have a gathering round his house um, for those again who don't know who maybe don't have him on um, Instagram it's you know with being a footballer you've got the luxury of the big houses and whatnot he's got a little sort of five-a-side football pitch in his back garden and um, he thought it would be one a good idea to have a load of friends round which included uh, Quina and apparently Chalibur as well. Now, there have been a few rumours that Chalibur was kept out because he lives with Quina. But then, Ben, you said that in the footage you can see Chalibur. So I've seen people say that they've seen Chalibur in the footage. Right. OK. So it's a bit unsure on the Chalibur side. But he was left out as a precaution, which if he does live with Quina, he's rightly so. Yeah. Um, I think, like, you know, I, I don't want to 
copy too much with what Mike said on from the rookery ends, but he hit the nail on the head that well. It's hard to not, you know, bring up some of the points that he made. I think it was bad enough that Gray thought he was sort of above the pandemic that we're in at the moment and uh, he, again it's another case of a footballer breaking the rules we've seen Jack Grealish Hudson Adoy, Mason Mount to name a few who've broken lockdown rules I think a couple of Tottenham players did as well so whether it's a footballer ego thing that they think they're bigger and better than everyone I don't know whether they think it's not going to affect them um, that was bad enough that he'd done that the worst part of it all was he posted it all over Instagram. Um, I mean, that absolutely baffles me. It really does. It's bad enough that you've you've broken the lockdown rules, for one. But why on earth would he go and then post it on social media then? What yes. I mean, what was going through his mind? I don't think he's got a mind sometimes. Um, it's absolutely ridiculous that he thinks that he could post something like that on social media and think that nothing would ever come of it. It's just ridiculous. He's a professional footballer. I don't know how many followers he's got on Instagram, but he's also going out with a a very well-recognised pop star. Mm. It's going to be in the papers. He had up to 20 people in his back garden playing football. It's it's just a joke. Yeah. Yeah. Does Does he not know what's gone on in the last few months? Does he not know that there's families out there that have lost... Loved ones, like people are dying because of this virus. It's, it's, it's. I'm ashamed. It, it's just embarrassing. It feels like he's just stuck two fingers up at everyone and just done what he wants. Mm. Yeah, I agree, and I, I think the the thing that obviously what he's done, I'm not taking that out of context whatsoever. But I think the thing that baffles me even more is he. He's not very. He's got his critics at Watford. It's fair to say, and yeah, and we we touched upon this in the first episode, didn't we? Yeah, we said that he, he's he's had a lot of issues with some Watford fans, um, and we held our hands up and said, yeah, we, we've probably given him a bit of stick before, but we wanted him to, we wanted it to work for Andre Gray. There's mm-hmm. potential there. We've just never really played to his style, but he's completely screwed this up for him now. I think he has. Yeah. Completely, completely agree. Like he, he's not in many Watford's good book, good books before this because of his form and his inconsistency. And look, you can work on that. He, he's a professional footballer, but and obviously the link with Luton as well. I'm sure people have sort of got over that since. But to go and do this um, and, and post it all over social media, it, it honestly baffles me. Um, you just sort of sit there and you think, well, surely he's not thinking, oh, I'll just post this over social media. No one's going to know or no one's going to say anything. As you say, he's, you know, he's engaged to uh, an international pop star. You know, if being a footballer wasn't sort of limelight enough, you're going out with someone from Little Mix, you know, it it was bound to be picked up by the press. Um, And like, I think the other the, the other thing is as well they've, they've both well two people the Andre Gray and Domingos Quina have both issued apologies. I want to f- 
I just want to read them out for you guys. And I want to start with Andres because I feel like we're going to have more to say about Andres and uh, Quinners. So Andres' apology was, I wanted to wait to make a public apology as my first apology needed to be to my teammates and staff first for not being able to be involved in yesterday's game and the risk I have caused. I just want to reiterate that it was not a late-night party like what is being portrayed, and only a gathering of friends which turned into a sort of football tournament on my birthday. I understand my responsibilities and will do what it takes to make it right. Apologies again. Now, I'm sorry, but he's taking the piss with that. That is, like, that... I'm I'm lost for words. That is not an apology. He's got to be on a wind-up with that. Um, I want to reiterate that it wasn't a late-night party. He was basically playing Wembley singles with his mates. Yeah. Um, it's it's a joke. Yeah. It, it's almost as if he's completely missed the point of what he's done. Yeah. Uh, like, I just want to reiterate that it was not a late night party. And then he, he goes on, obviously, to say it turned into some sort of football tournament on my birthday, as if he's trying to justify that. Because it was his birthday. Yeah, it makes and he's it okay. Gray, he's allowed. You know, it don't matter about the 40 odd thousand people that have died from this pandemic. But it's your birthday. You have a football tournament if you want. Uh, and oh, sorry if we called it a late night party. We we do apologise. It's it's a joke. Like I, I just. I think Andre Gray's time, he was he was on borrowed time at Watford anyway, but I think this is a final nail in the coffin. I also, just Also I wanna yeah. say that Andre Gray did a statement on his Instagram story, which only stays up for a maximum of twenty four hours. It's gonna be gone. It's not on his, his main um timeline that people can go back to or have a look. He's done this, uh, he he doesn't get reminded of, of seeing this on his um his page, whereas Quinner, he's put it out there for everyone to see and it's not on his story and it's not going to disappear overnight. This is what Andre's Gray's done and it looks like he can just brush it under the carpet. It's it's a poor. Yeah, no, that's a very, very good point. Thanks for uh, thanks for pointing that out, Ben. Um, that, that is very good. It's, it's almost as if someone sort of nudged Andre and said, look, you know, you need to apologise to, to the public and he's going, all right, all right, I'll put something out then. Uh, whereas, as you mentioned, Quinners, on the other hand, he's completely the opposite. I'll read Quinners out now. I want to make a public apology for attending my teammate's birthday gathering last week. It was a silly mistake to make in putting the health and safety of my family, my teammates and others at risk. I'm in a privileged position as a professional footballer and I appreciate that comes with the responsibility of making good decisions and acting in the right way. Let us all move on in the knowledge that I will be doing all I can, if called upon, to keep us up, which is what the Watford fans deserve. Now, to me, it's still bad. I'm not condoning what Quinner did. He still turned up. He made that decision at the time. He's, He's still wrong for doing so. But if you're going to make an apology for such a young man as well to do that, that is how you do it. 100%. I would be even more ashamed if I was Andre Gray and I read Quinners. Like, Andre Gray in that team, believe it or not, Watford fans, he will be sort of like a, a player that the younger lads can look up to. Because yeah. let's face it, Gray, Gray's goal-scoring record elsewhere is actually quite good. And on his day, when you play his football, he, he's a good footballer. So people in that team will look up to him and will he no you know no doubt he will give advice to the younger lads, but I I just think Quinners one 
whether we Ben said to me before the recording, whether someone sort of gave him a nudge and sort of helped him a bit, it doesn't matter. He still put that apology out. And I think the thing is for me as well is it's how he understands what he's done is wrong. He understands that he's in a privileged position as a professional footballer. And he understands the responsibility that's coming with it. And yeah. the most important thing for me is he understands what it means for the team at the moment. Because at the moment, we, we're not doing great. And having this come upon us at the time of when it has is crap, to be honest. And for Quinner to recognise that and to say if he's called upon, he will do everything he can, that, that to me just seems like it sounds more sincere and he wants to help the team. Yeah, no, definitely. It just seems like Quinner gets it. He understands what he's done and he understands the effects of it all. Whereas Gray, it just doesn't seem like he really cares and all he cares about that his big day was spoiled. Yeah, no, you know what? That's absolutely spot on, I think, Ben. It's almost as if he's apologising, not because he feels the needs to, but because he's sort of been like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, like this might tarnage my image or something. And like, it's almost as if it, this, his apology was a bit forced, whereas Quinners sounded a lot more sincere and, you know, a lot more Watford fans. And I've seen a lot of Watford fans actually comment back to Quinner. And it seems like he's sort of, the understanding has been there more for Quinner than it has for Gray. Obviously we can't see the comments back to Gray. Um, and you know, God help us if we could, because I can tell you now, some of the comments would be horrendous. Um, so yeah, I think it, it was important that we did touch upon that, and we we just wanted to put our views across because it's not acceptable, and especially in the position we're in at the moment. You know, we've seen with the locks of Aston Villa, Jack Grealish obviously getting uh, well breaking lockdown, and look at the position they're in as well. So. You know, it's not just us. Uh, anyone that's broke lockdown, I, I, I think it's an important, um, it's an important topic that needs to be discussed. So, um, if we go into the actual game itself. Obviously, we've mentioned the Watford changes there. Uh, there were four changes from the Southampton side that lost to Arsenal on Thursday night: Van Valerie, Jack Stevens, Stuart Armstrong. Um, and Michael Oberfemi all were out with Yannick Vestergaard, Kyle Walker-Peters, Oriol Romeo and Will Smallbone and Shane Long all come in. Uh, Jack Stevens was suspended after he picked up a red card in the Arsenal defeat. So, four changes for Southampton. Obviously, they've been on a roll at the moment. And, you know, when you saw that Southampton side, uh, obviously, we, we we won't know an awful lot on how the players have been throughout the season. That's probably a question for the, um, the Southampton fans. But were, were you surprised that they'd made as many changes since since Thursday? And uh, and was you perhaps thinking, okay, this this could be could be promising? Um, weren't really surprised. It seemed same situation as us, really, as in like playing so many games. Um, in as many days, um, but they're in a better position than us, aren't they? They probably just needed one more win to secure Premiership football next season, so they they can probably make these changes and not really worry about the result as much as Watford, so they could take those players out of the side. Um, but yeah, I was looking at it thinking, okay, they've weakened their side um, by taking out Valerie Armstrong and Oberfarmy, and then the red card as well. I thought we could get at them, but obviously that didn't happen. 
No, he didn't. And that, that brings us nicely into the, the start of the game. And I think, as we did against Leicester and Burnley, we started off really, really flat. You know, there was just no urgency and it was clear from early doors who was going to control this game. It was almost as if we were sort of sitting back thinking, OK, let's see how these are going to play and then we'll try and get the ball back and actually play some stuff. I think the the alarming thing which was evident so early on was the style of play that we were going to continue playing was the old hoof it up to Troy and Troy's going to try and flick it on. Now, he did pull out the stat that Troy's won the most aerial battles. I think it was the, the first week against Leicester. I think he was sitting top at the aerial duels won with 14. But since then, he's come up against the likes of Tarkowski and me at Burnley. And he come up against a Vestergaard who... To be quite frank, probably he's, had the easiest game of his life. He was he was clearing everything up. He was, but it helps when you're like six foot six, doesn't <laughs> yeah, it? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, no. But Which, yeah, it, it was again, fighting a losing yeah. battle, really. You fancy Troy against like the smaller centre halves in the league, um, but when you got someone like him, you, you you're not going to have your best of games, are you? You're not going to no. win as many games, a balls in the air, and you could see it early on that he was winning absolutely everything. Should have changed things up straight away and played probably played more to the strengths of Saar. Well, I mean, this is it. You know, even if they after the first couple, you know, we know that uh, Foster. If it goes back to Foster, we know that he's sometimes he's better off just putting his foot through it because I think last season we saw when. We tried to play too much out the back. I think there was that goal he got caught out against Arsenal, uh, Aubameyang. Yeah. I think we ended up losing that game. Um, and, you know, he, I think from then he sort of perhaps thought, right, I'm going to be no-nonsense here. And sometimes it's the best way. But after the first couple, and like you say, Vestergaard's six foot, what, six foot six, six foot seven. You, Troy Deeney's... I think six foot, six one. And we know that he's he's good in the air and he, he he does win aerial battles. But when you're up against a player like that, it's very rare that you're going to win headers. Like, for example, when he was up against, um, when we were up against Liverpool, uh, when we won 3 0, Troy knew straight away that he was going to sit on Lovren because he was the weaker of the defender and he knew that he was going to win, win balls in the air. Whereas it's almost as if he didn't sort of stick for that with Troy for, for this game. Like it was just evident that it just wasn't happening. And you sort of have to think, well, you know, they, their fullbacks were, were quite small. Walker, Peters and Bertrand aren't the tallest of blokes. And if you sort of maybe hit them first in, in the air and, um, you, you sort of aimed it to the sides, we might have got a bit more joy, joy on the wing because we know that Sarr is going to have the beating of them every time. So it, it's just frustrating when, when you see long ball after long ball and it's just the same outcome, Vestergaard winning it, Vestergaard winning it. Like You, you just think surely that's evident enough to, to sort of pack it in. But um, it, it, it wasn't to be, you know, that, that seems like that was our only way of playing and Unfortunately, then, it didn't take long for Danny Ings, as you pointed out in the last episode, to be a danger man. We knew what he was going to be like, and it didn't take him long to add to his tally. It was number 17 for him of the season, uh, 16 minutes in, when some, uh, what I can only describe it as, as messy defending. I think there's a still image on Twitter of seven, seven players, players around him. Seven and players. And he still slotted it in. In a um, Watford shot, standing around him, not getting close to him. Not this is the same Danny Ings that's got before this fifteen Premier League goals. You know he likes to shoot from distance as well. Mm-hmm. Why don't you go straight onto him? Yeah, or even 
take an early yellow card, just take him down. You don't Absolutely. let him, with his quality, get close to the box for starters and to take a shot from there. Foster looked like his, he, was, he was confident it was going wide the way he left it. Well, it's funny you say that, and this won't be the first time that we'll speak about Foster in this episode because he's got a lot of questions to answer, I think. But do you, question to you, Ben, do you think that his positioning let him down on that goal? Because I certainly think that Danny Ings is getting a lot more plaudits for that goal than he should have done, saying, oh, it was right in the corner. To me, I think Foster, his positioning was poor. and If he was positioned better, he would have got there. I think his positioning was poor and also he couldn't really see the, the flight of the ball through the defender's legs as well. Mm. Um, so I'll put it down to both of them. But either way, at least dive for the ball. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and look, you know, maybe we're being a bit harsh and uh, yeah. someone that's played in goal before myself, you know, it, it's hard enough when, especially for seven players around him, you know, he, he might have had a, a blocked view and he might have only seen it last minute. But, I just think his positioning was maybe a little bit out of line and yeah. not not the best. But Look, before we carry on with Foster, I know we're going to probably criticise him for other mm. things later on in the game. But Foster's been absolutely outstanding this season. I just yes. want to say, and if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have been in this position. Uh, we probably would be level on points with Norwich or even worse off. So if it weren't for Foster, we'd be in a worse position than we actually are. He's just he just had a terrible off day. Yeah, no, I, I'm glad you. Uh... I'm glad you added that, Ben, because um, they're my thoughts as well. And I'm a big fan of Fosters. And uh, we've spoke about it in previous episodes as well. And I think you might have even said at one stage that so far, I don't know about after Sunday, but so far he, uh, he was, he was my player of the season. season yeah. <laughs> so, no, yeah, no, uh, good point there, Ben. Thank you. Um, and then after that, we sort of, we didn't really have any opportunities in the first half. There was a couple of times that Saar beat Bertrand and yeah, he just I thought, couldn't time that I ball across. Saar, um, it was Pereira. When Pereira came over to Saar's side, he got the ball and played inside, didn't he? And I mm. thought, oh, this is lovely football. But he played it across the box, but there was no one there with the game, was there? He, he no. kind of dragged it back where Deeney was a bit closer to the goal and it was yeah. just like... But at least we created an opportunity. I got excited for that. <laughs> yeah, no, I was I was half on the edge of my seat and whatnot. Yeah. But I think sometimes he, he needs to understand that because of his pace and his quickness, he's got a lot more time than he thinks he has. Mm. Like, he thinks as soon as he's beaten him, he sort of just... He has to put the ball in straight away. And maybe, you know, maybe it's too harsh on the side. Maybe we have to sort of look at it from the other side and think, well... The players have worked with him for long enough now. They know that he's as soon as he's beaten that man, they need to be near the post or they need to be in a position where when that ball comes in, they're going to be able to turn it home or at least get a shot on target because the problem we've got at the moment is we're not testing keepers enough and it, it, it's very frustrating to watch. And I think the, the, the one criticism I had of Saar, which was in the first half, where he's beat Bertrand and he's felt a tug on his arm and he's just stopped running completely. Like, Sarge's got the legs to keep that in. And he sort of looked at Michael Oliver as if to say, well, are you giving the penalty? And that really annoyed me. Because I'm thinking, why would you just stop? Like, if there's... I, I, and listen, I, I refereed for six, seven years. So I, I'm not advocating diving whatsoever. But if you feel that much contact, that it's going to stop you in your tracks, go down. And again, I just want to make that clear. I'm not advocating diving. I'm not for cheating and all that. But if he actually felt that much contact, 
then go down. It wasn't, though, was it? It would be there embarrassing if he went to the was. floor. Um, I don't think it was a penalty. You can kind of no. see him tugging on him a little bit. I say a little bit because that's what it was. It, it wasn't enough for a penalty. And no, to be frank, it's, he, he played to the whistle. Yeah, well, you, you're you taught that a, since a young yeah, age, aren't you? You was in no. a great position to cut it across the box. Who would know who would have been on the end of that and probably stick it in and would go in 1-1 one, one at half-time. But he just stopped. Yeah, and maybe that's that's a sign of how things are at the moment with, within the players and whatnot. But I, I don't think it was a penalty. I was a bit, bit peed off to see, to see Saar do that and I wasn't very happy and whatnot. Um, but uh, I think in terms of our sort of um, our sort of efforts and whatnot. That that was really it for the first half. I think there was, Alex McCarthy was spotted flicking through the Watford Observer in the first uh, half. You that absolutely episode. love that quote. He threw it in last <laughs> week with Foster, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. We should do um, a tally chart how many times she's going to say we're going to flick through the Watford Observer. <laughs> there is other good newspapers out there, everyone. <laughs> yeah, no, there, there is other newspapers out there. But the I Metro. Keep it <laughs> They're going through a hard time at the moment. The Metro's free, Brent. <laughs> what for the observer is it, mate? But yeah, no, I, you know, considering he's just come off the back of a defeat where the two goals were his errors, you know, he, he'd be the the happiest man in Vicarage Road come that you know half time and come the final whistle as well, probably. He didn't have a but, shot to save all game, did he? No, no, he didn't. So um, yeah, that that was very frustrating. And then you know, nothing to really shout about in the first half and second half. Pearson and Deeney and a few other influential characters in that dressing room, if there isn't any at the moment, you'd be hard to bloody tell. But it seems that Pearson delivered a bit of a rocket because, again, like the Burnley game, we come out the second half looking fired up and looking G'd up. You know, we weren't hoofing it for once. We were actually passing it around and we, we were carving out some good little passages of play and whatnot. And we, we actually looked like we might actually, you know, get, get a goal or get something like we we started the second half so well yeah we, we was actually putting in a bit of effort and actually wanting to look like we wanted to score and get something out of the game I was I was a bit shocked to be fair after what we've seen first half and at Burnley as well it's it's been atrocious lately but yeah first 10-15 minutes I thought oh yeah they've got a rocket out of their ass um, let's see what we can do but once again create lots of little chances not a clear, uh, a clear chance for anyone, really. And yet, we can't score. It's... But yeah, it was it was a promising first start. Uh, first 10 minutes in the second half, wasn't it? But yeah. it's a game. Typical Watford. Um, we're going to get used to this. Um, we threw it all away, really. Yeah. And we literally you know... threw it away, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, no, I think we had, a, we had that chance with Troy where he, he sort of blasted over in the first 10 minutes of the second half. And I think... That was as close as we got, sort of thing. And then, um, you know, the I think the problem was the occasional time that we did breach their back four, the final ball was just wrong. It was just like as if our players thought the ball's going to find its own way into the back of the net. And, you know, it, it, it's just... It's classic signs of a team that are very, very negative and in a very bad place at the moment, which we've seen I'll... throughout the whole season. I think I saw a stat earlier that we uh, attempted 17 crosses um, in the second half or maybe it was the first half as well, but only like five were successful. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me, especially with a big big I'm... bloke like Vestergaard at the back. Yeah, definitely. You know, we do no harm because he didn't play against Arsenal. So, I don't. again, I'm not, you know, 
fully clued up on Southampton. But if he's not getting a regular game at Southampton, then bloody hell, Gino, you know, give <laughs> give them a, a, a blank check. You know, I'd, I'd be well up for that. Someone that actually wins headers and whatnot. And Commanding centre-half, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think we've been screaming out for for a while. We've but been crying as... out for any kind of centre-back. Like <laughs> yeah, that's true. A... Yeah. Uh, but as you said, we did literally throw it away. Ben Foster again. He'd got away with one about 10, 15 minutes before, maybe. Yeah, just before um, the drinks break, wasn't it? Yeah, and I thought, oof, you know, it was a sort of, you know, it, it, it was a close moment and you thought, oh, oh God, you know, hopefully he learns from that and doesn't do it again. Throws the ball out and we were still sort of in the game on top, a little bit sort of creating half chances and he throws it out and Danny Ings just picks it up and, well, not picks it up, but he, he, he intercepts and, one on one, and he just he slots home for his um his eighteenth for the season. So, you know, Ings must have thought Christmas came early when he got that ball. Absolutely, you know, you it's bad enough throwing it to anyone, but when you throw it to a player like you know Danny Ings, you know, if the same would have happened against Vardy, you, you just know it's going to happen. It's he, he's such a dangerous player, and Ben Foster's come out since and said, "I've got to hold my hands up, uh, really." Because my mistake comes at a time when we were on top. It's a poor throw from me and it really did take the wind, of our, wind out of our sails. And it's a shame because... It Foster really did, was actually, didn't it? Well, yeah. Foster was, you know, breaking records himself that game. You know, that was his 100th consecutive Premier League appearance. And I think he's either the oldest Watford player to do it or the oldest player in the Premier League to do it. Oldest it, in the Premier League. There we go. So... On a day, really, when it's all about breaking records, you want it to be a good day. He had an absolute stinker, to be honest. And it's very rare that we talk about Ben Foster doing that because he's been like Mr. Reliable. And as you said earlier, if it wasn't for Foster, we I don't think we'd be in a position to be angry about throwing away the potential of going four points clear of the relegation pack. Like we, we, you know, we, we just wouldn't be in that position. So... I don't want to dwell too much on Foster because he's been absolutely superb. But I think it, it was that evident that he, he just had an off day. And look, it happens to the best of keepers. Yeah, and fair play to him to actually come out afterwards and yeah. go in front of the media and, and give us that little statement saying that he's, he's, he held his hands up and it was his mistake and all that. Because some players especially after yesterday's performance, they've gone hiding, haven't they? Yeah, you, you, you see, after after we win, they're all on Instagram and everything, posting pictures of the game saying, oh yeah, another three points and all that. It all goes quiet when you lose, don't it? But fair play yeah. to Ben Foster, it actually came out and said that. Yeah, and uh, um, whilst we're on the subject as well, Will Hughes, you know, he, if yes. you've not seen it, head over to the Watford Twitter. He, he gets it. Like we said with Quinner earlier, Will Hughes gets it and he sounded he genuinely sounded devastated. Yeah, like, he, he, he gets knows. it and he and he says if we carry on like this, we are gonna go down. He he wants it to change as much as we do. It's just yeah. something's not clicking at the moment. Exactly. So um yeah, after Foster threw that one away, quite literally. We did get one back. Um there was a couple of substitutions that were made and uh, he at the time of the substitutions happening I thought, my God. Now, the substitutions, Hughes come off and Welbeck come on. Messina come off and Holobas come on. And Perea come off and Pedro come on, all in the same substitution. <laughs> and it was one of those substitutions that really um, sort of was actually getting stuck in and whatnot. I thought Holobas come on and he, he was 
he was fighting and whatnot. And now Holobas is someone he's, I believe he is going to be leaving come the end of the season. But Holobas is a player that will get stuck in and will bollock a few players if he has to. And he was putting the crosses in. We know he's got a long throw. And it was his cross that was deflected by Benderak. I, I think I've, I've pronounced yeah. that correctly. And then it went, it went into his own goal. So, you know, we couldn't even score ourselves. We had to rely on an own goal. But it was it... on the subject of those substitutions, like, what were your thoughts? Because, personally, I would have took Kapu off for um, Welbeck, not Hughes. Um, I thought the subs were right. Uh, I just thought it was delayed again. It was mm. it's too slow again. But, yeah, uh, I probably would have stuck with... Yeah, I'll be with you taking Kapu off because I thought that was probably one of his worst performances in a Watford shirt yesterday. Yeah, I think um, so. I don't know if that's tiredness all down to all these games, but... Yeah, that's true. He must be shattered. He's played every game since he's come back, isn't he? Yeah. He's played... Has he played all... No, he like, got substituted 90... against Leicester, didn't he, with Kapu? Uh, no, with Decore. Uh, yeah, because Chalaber come on, didn't he? Yeah. And cleverly, I think. Yeah, cleverly. Um but yeah, he must be shattered. So I was a bit disappointed to see Hughes come off. Holobas for Messina, we, we, we saw that one against Leicester. Uh, we didn't see it against Burnley, but for the Leicester one, I believe it was more a precaution because a possible injury. Now, we did see Messina take a bit of a knock, I think was it in the first half? Um, possibly, but I don't know if that was a precaution again. And could that be that Messina's close to maybe, I don't know, pulling a hamstring or something, but Again, I thought Holobas was come on and did well. And then Pereira off for Pedro. And like you said, I think the substitutions, other than the Hughes, I would have kept on and Kapu off. I think they're good substitutions to make. But 73, 74 minutes into the game, when, when your you, opponents yeah. and chasing the game, like it's too late. When you're 1-0 down, you, you, you're shooting yourself in the foot by doing it so late anyway, making those changes. They were the right uh, changes to make, but too late again. Yeah, no, I completely you, agree. You need them on the pitch sooner to make an impact in the game. Luckily, Pedro and um, Holobas, they linked up really quickly and that was a great delivery in a they box did. from Holobas. For, for once, we actually put a decent ball into a box. <laughs> And yeah, yeah if, if the defender weren't going to get a touch on that, Welbeck was going to put that past the keeper, wasn't he? So great ball from Holobas. I will miss his set pieces when he does go. Um, oh, but yeah. he looked like he had a point to prove. Uh, a point to prove when he came on, he had, he had fire in his belly, didn't he? And yeah, yeah, he, he was up for it. It's just a shame the other ten or eleven players that was on before he came on didn't have the same fire in the belly. Yeah, it is, and you know. Uh... After that goal, we sort of, uh, speaking from my own personal experience, I thought, yes, come on then, let's go. You know, we can we can do this. We can get a point. As undeserved as, as it would be, we can get a point. Um, now, you'll have to excuse me, listeners, because I don't know if whereabouts this was in the game, um, but the Dawson penalty, I think it was at 2-1. Uh, was it at 2-1? Possibly. To me, that's a penalty all day long. I don't know. I think it was Kyle Walker-Peters that was marking him. He, he literally had Dawson's arm. He had his two arms around Dawson's arm, pulling him down. And I'm, apparently, on the, on, when I was watching it, they said VAR did look at it because 
um, Southampton had gone on attack up the other end and Stuart Armstrong was down injured. And whilst he was down injured, VAR looked at it for about a split second and was like, no. But to me, that was a penalty. And if that goes, if that penalty gets given, if some buts and whatnot, but if that penalty gets given and it's 2-2 or whatever the score is, it's a completely different game. It would have still been undeserved because Southampton were better, but it's just another example of VAR going against us. And I don't want to be one of those fans that just moans about VAR going against us and having a vendetta against our team and whatnot because we've got ourselves into this mess in the first place. We, we'd much rather be in a position where we'd be like, oh, VAR didn't pick that up, but never mind, we're safe anyway. But unfortunately, we've got ourselves in a position where these sort of decisions, you sort of rely on it. So I was a bit annoyed at that, that it didn't you know, properly check that because I thought it was a penalty as opposed to the earlier half-hearted shout from, uh, from Saar. But just as we looked as if we were going to perhaps get something, you know, we, we got that goal, you could tell the players were sort of boosted a little bit and we, we, were, we were on the hunt for a second. I think we might have got a corner and... Next thing you know, Southampton spring the counter on us three minutes later and Dawson, who was on a yellow at the point, I think it was Dawson, yeah. pulled down Danny Ings. He looked like he pooed his pants when he pulled, pulled him yep. down. He looked like he was about to start walking off of the tunnel, didn't he? Yeah, I think he was halfway to heading towards the showers, Dawson was, but uh, I don't know how he got away with it, but he gave a free kick. It was, what, I'd, I'd say in the D-box, maybe just to the side, that sort of range, and it was James Ward-Prowse. And it's almost like second nature to him scoring a free kick that long. You might as well have given him a penalty or you might as well have given him an open goal because you just know that James Ward-Prowse, he did it against us in the return fixture at St Mary's earlier in the season. And I was actually texting my girlfriend at the time and she was at a party, so she wasn't fully watching. So I hope it weren't a football party, football <laughs> tournament party. No, no, no. It wasn't Andre Gray's party, just to clear that up. Um, but yeah, um, she was socially distanced as well before we, uh, before we get any uh, hatred comments. But um, yeah, she said, oh yeah, we just scored 2-1. I was like, yeah, I, I described in the goal and whatnot. I said, soon to be 3-1 though, because you just knew as soon as James Ward-Prowse was had that ball you just knew it was going in yeah the moment Southampton got that a free kick in that position as well there's no one better probably in the Premier League than James Ward-Prowse at set pieces I rate him really highly I think he's as good as Beckham when he takes free kicks he's unbelievable Ooh, big statement there and to well, think look, as well look at his career and all the goals he scores he does it every season he could that's true he scores four or five a season just set pieces mm. uh, there was a stat which is going to be even more interesting because I can't find it at the moment but I think it was um, about Matt Letizia he's only scored more free kicks than James Ward-Prowse in the season I think um, James Ward-Prowse has got seven I believe um, from memory but to think as well that we were linked with him yeah. uh, I'm not sure what happens but ah, here we go only Matt Letizia who scored seven has scored more direct free kick goals for Southampton in the Premier League than James Ward-Prowse and he scored six, James Ward-Prowse has. So to be up there with a legend like that, Matt Letizia for Southampton just shows how well he's doing. And he's what, 24, 25? He's young, basically. He's got a lot of years ahead of him. Yeah, no, definitely. And I just want to say, I'm not saying James Ward-Prowse is 
as good as David Beckham. I just think his free kicks are as good yeah. as David Beckham before I get any stick on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, your mentions would fill right <laughs> at Ben 8 and 23 for anyone who wants to oh, get leave it out. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, it was, uh, and, and that was game over. Like, it, it was just typical Watford's and the, the rain was pouring down and everyone was soaked and you could just tell from, I know we were half-heartedly giving it a go after we had that lucky own goal, but, I think after that goal went in, you just knew that was it. And they almost scored a fourth. Che Adams has still not scored for Southampton since arriving. He went one-on-one and I thought, there we go. There's your first goal, mate. You know, well done. On your way, 4-1. Luckily, Foster actually saved it really well and it went wide. But, you know, it, it was game over. I mean, it was game over for a long time. But when that free kick went in, it just sums up Watford's luck at the moment. It, it's just... When that third goal went in, what... Every single player switched off from that. Yeah, yeah, um, 100%. Heads went down. There was no... They didn't care after that. I think they was all waiting for a final whistle to go. And as I said in last week's podcast, before, this could go down to goal difference. And for everyone to start switching off when we're 3-1 down, OK, you probably think you can't get back into the game. But this is like an extra point goal difference. I think it's, yeah. it's a joke that this players not giving their all at the moment and could jeopardise our Premier League status and they all need to rock it up their backside. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just yeah. a joke. Well, that leads me on quite nicely to my next question. And just quickly, want you to touch on it for me because I know we're a bit pushed for time, but how... I've got to be careful how I phrase this because we, we know how much trouble we're in, but I want to say how much trouble do you think we're actually in now but I'll rephrase it. Based on that performance and based on who we've got left, do you think that we're down already? Because there's a lot of Watford fans that think we do. I think we're in a good position where the bottom five are all as bad as each other. Um, yeah. I still think three wins is enough to stay up. Um, whether we can get that three wins... It's it's slowly slipping away from me, thinking we can do it. How on earth are we going to put three wins back to back against Norwich, West Ham, and Newcastle? Um, I'm kind of losing faith a little bit. Um, they mm-hmm. still have my support, as they will do for the rest of my life. But it's getting very, very dark now, and I can't see us making a U-turn and staying up. We need a miracle if we are to stay up now. I think that's it now. We we need points on the board. We're not getting it. We've only got. I saw a stat earlier. We've won one game in t- the last pre- ten Premier League games. That one game was against Liverpool, and that was with Raw Verrucky behind us. We haven't got the players to kind of get behind us now and give us a kick up the backside when we need it. A lot of players need to stop hiding and show up, or we are going to go down. Sometimes I think maybe we do need to go down because we've got a lot of deadwood in this squad. Players that aren't fully committed. And I feel like maybe we do need to go down and rebuild and come back up. And maybe we go down and we give the youngsters a go because we've got a lot of good, talented youngsters in this squad. But as if older heads keeping them out of the team, the older heads that are in the starting eleven who aren't performing. Yes, we rave about saying Decore's brilliant, Capoo's brilliant. Yeah, they're probably brilliant when we're winning all the time. But when you need to 
pull up your socks and graft and put in a proper performance to try and get your team out of trouble. I, t- I don't see that when I look at this Watford squad. I don't see many leaders. I don't see how we're going to get out of this. I, yeah, I mean, you, I think you're spot on on a few points there. You know, we, Yesterday's we, performance reminded me of when we lost 3-0 at home to Yeovil and that was embarrassing. Yeah, oh God, yeah, I remember that. And Zola got sacked off after that game, I believe. Yeah, he either got sacked or he he was he walked, he jumped before he was pushed, yeah. as I say. But yeah, it, it, it was going to be inevitable. And the main yeah. issue, the main issue we have here is it's all down to recruitment. Mm-hmm. The main issue for like, the last year, two years, is we've not got any decent centre backs. We haven't invested in the key areas of the field that's going to make us improve. Yes, Sar's a brilliant signing and he's got a lot of potential. But is that what we needed at the start of the season? No. We needed to in- improve the defence and maybe throw in like a wing or whatever. But the recruitment's been poor. And we're only going one way at the moment and that's down, unfortunately. Yeah, it's um, it's hard to see otherwise. It's It's hard to see where our next win's coming from. And like you say, on paper, we got some winnable games. As soon as all our games have finished recently, I've, a very good friend of mine, um, Daniel Thomas, is a uh, Aston Villa season ticket holder. And he messages me, you know, we, we have a bit of banter and whatnot. But he said, oh, look, you've got Norwich coming up. You've got New, Newcastle. I said to him yesterday, and, you know, I, I wasn't in the best of moods. I says, Dan, I says, I can't even see us beating Norwich. Like, yeah, Norwich uh, looked okay. well against... Uh, Manchester United, albeit it was uh, eight changes from Man United, but still, Norwich looked well. They've got no pressure on them. Newcastle, you don't know what they're going to... I think they stayed in... I didn't watch the game against Man City, but they pretty much... Scoreline would suggest they stayed in the game. They've picked up some good results. West Ham, again, West West Ham, we, we don't tend to have a, a very good record against West Ham overall. Um, I know we've won there the last two seasons, or... We've won their last season and then Matt Zari season. Um, so, you know, maybe that's a glimmer of hope there. But we've got Chelsea next. Um, I'm hoping everything we've just said is just going to jinx us and then we're going to go and beat Chelsea and then everyone will be all happy. Love that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we've got Chelsea next. And the one thing we've got on our side <laughs> is that the bottom five are all equally as bad as each other. And it, well, it's it's going to be a lottery of who stays up, I believe. I think so. And and you might not even need three, three wins to stay up. We all might be that poor. We only just need one win to stay up. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, since the Premier League's resumed, by the way, none of the teams that are currently in the bottom fours have won. There's been three draws from 13 games. So, the, you know, the stats look bleak for everyone. And... Funnily enough, um, someone on my Facebook uh, after yesterday's performance, I wasn't very happy. So I aired my uh, feelings on Facebook and uh, a lad I know who's um, a Liverpool fan said, I think you'll stay up. And I said, we we had quite an in-depth conversation and he said, I think that the, the people below you are that poor. I think you'll stay up. Now, I said to him, if we somehow stay up because the three below us are that poor, and by the three below us, I mean the current bottom three, so Norwich, um, Aston Villa and Bournemouth. 
if we stay up because they are that poor, I won't be able to look into a Villa, not Bournemouth, side Bournemouth, but Norwich Villa. I won't be able to look at them. And I've got a lot of mates that are Aston Villa fans. I'd have to buy them a point every time I saw them because I'd feel so sorry. Like, if we stay up because of how poor these are, it's the biggest let-off in football that has ever, ever been seen and you will never see it again. It'll when... be the, I don't know the stats, but it'll be the lowest points tally that someone has stayed up on. It's got to have been. Yeah, no, definitely. Whatever division we're in next season, we need a, I believe we need a massive overhaul of a squad. Yeah. Well, don't forget as well, Ben, we've got a lot of players coming in from loan. Yeah, and I think that's going to work in our player. That work yeah. in our favour, massively. We've told Osasuna that Estupian is coming back Yeah, because Barcelona and Man United are interested. Chucho Hernandez, I know there's been a few question marks over his move, but we've got him coming back. Yeah, we've Luis got Luis Suarez, Suarez yeah. not that one. We've got Luis Suarez coming back. Um, there, there's loads. Sometimes I look and I, I, I look on these websites and whatnot and I see on Twitter and I'm like, Oh, yeah, he plays for Watford. We've got a young lad. I don't know how I come across this the other day, and I don't want to go too off topic here, but we've got a young lad that's playing in the Serbian league in the top tier for someone that's like pushing um, almost top place finish. And he's a striker. He's a young Serbian lad. Yeah, I was like, like 18, 19, hell? yeah. Yeah. Like, we, you lose track. I think Pontus Dolberg, yeah. um, Dan Backman, you, if we were to go down. You've got uh, Wilmot. Yeah, Wilmot as well. And in fact, guys, me and Ben, when the football season is finished and we know what division we're going to be, it's unfortunately the case that we're going to be going down to the champ. Me and Ben will do an episode where we will sit through the players and say who we think will stay and who will go. Because I think there's there's a a good debate to be had on a few players. But um, I just want to move on quickly uh, to the last couple of things. We've had a question from a, a good friend of ours, Ant Parsons, who has asked, after the performance against Southampton, who deserves a spot against Chelsea and what does Pearson need to try and change? Now, firstly, I think that Pearson needs to change the long ball route because it's not going to work. You look at some of the defenders that Chelsea have got, that Tamori is a big bloke. Um, Azpilicueta is not scared of a header. He's a tough little bugger. Um, Alonso, he's not afraid to tackle and get high up the pitch. So I think that long ball punting needs to stop and we need to run at them because although I've just rated Alonso, he is getting on a bit now um, and they're not the fastest of defences. But Ben, who do you think, who who deserves a spot against Chelsea? Like, is there anyone in particular that you definitely start or is it that up in the air at the moment? You just don't know where you'd go. I think they were all poor um, Saturday. Um, I'll probably start Saar. I'll probably start Kiko. After that, I'll, I'll probably change the other nine. Um, I'll even put... I'll, yeah, I'll, I've changed all Go nine. Um, yeah, well, well, why not? Um, nah, come on, Ben. <laughs> why not? Have a day off, son. <laughs> well, let's rest Foster. He's, he's 37 now, isn't he? He might, he well, might need a day off. I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll stick, we'll stick Gomez in goal. Yeah. And... Um, what's Rennie Gilmartin doing nowadays? <laughs> can we? Can someone get on the phone to him? Or no? Nah, I, 
I think there's there's a lot of places that I'm hoping a lot of players, fringe players, are fighting for their place. I would like because... Pedro to come into the side because I, I thought he did all right when he came in on the he left did. hand side. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd like Welbeck to start as well. Um, but let's go two up top. Let's put Welbeck and Dini up top. Um, oh, I like what you're thinking. And Pedro on the left, Star on the right, Decore and Capu in the middle. Um, I know that takes Hughes out, but. Actually, That's no. Kapu was, was awful um, at the weekend. Let's take Kapu out. Shoes is in, in the middle with Decore. Um, a back four of Kiko, Holobas as the full-backs. Ooh, and, then, and then I'm going for centre-backs. Oh, they were all pretty poor. Uh, Paolo Vanazza and Paul <laughs> Robinson. Um, can we recall Wilmot? Because I'd, I'd <laughs> definitely put him in. Um, no, it, it would have to be Cabaselli would come back in. And I'll probably, I'll probably go Cabaselli and Cathcart this time. Oh, mate. No, I'm, I don't um, know what. I'm glad that Pearson's in charge and not mate, you, mate. Mate, if, <laughs> if, if, if we had Britos, I would have started him because I think he would have put in a few challenges. Someone else said that on Twitter. And that is a shout. Britos was so underrated. Uh, oh, I think he, was he was he was the crack. best defender at the club. It's just a shame he had a, a he had a bit of a hot head, and um, his distribution on the ball was awful. Every time he got the ball, he gave it away. But tackling wise, <laughs> marking, I thought he was outstanding. I remember when we signed him from Napoli, he was banged because he'd headbutted someone. So he, we made his debut against Preston in the league and cup. And someone else for headbutting someone. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that is brilliant. That, this is a kind of guy we want. He went up in my estimations when he almost put um, Knockart into Rosehead of the Elton Johnstone. So that was brilliant, <laughs> that was. Um, but, yeah, it was just no, a missed I, time challenge, that was. I yeah, there was yeah, nothing wrong absolutely, with that. Absolutely, absolutely. But no, um, I, I think that that's as much... I, I, I'm not as... Actually, speaking through it now, I'm a lot more relieved. Like, I was... And the, the only reason that we decided to record tonight is because yesterday... My word, I, I don't think we would have had any future in doing podcasts after yesterday if we'd have done it because I was absolutely fuming and it actually affected my mood outside of football. And yeah, like, same if I it feel didn't... sorry for my partner. I've been in a <laughs> vile mood. Um... Yeah. So I, I just think that like this is what it does to us and I just hope that that win comes soon. And do you know what? If we lose two three 0 to Chelsea, but we've give it our all, I don't care. We've yeah. give it our all. Exactly. I just want to see the players show a bit of fight. Is that too much to ask? Graham Taylor for a team that is based so heavily on Graham Taylor's ethos and whatnot, he would be absolutely livid watching this Watford side right now. And he's someone that you, God bless his soul, he's someone that you'd want around at the moment, even if it was a case of. He spoke to the players before. I'm like, it, it just, it just completely goes against what Watford are for. Like, just a bit of fight wouldn't hurt, lads. Yeah, like, that's I what we that want. We just want a bit of fight. We want passion. Yeah. We want desire. You want, we want them to play for a shirt, and they've certainly not exactly. done that since we came back from lockdown. So right. yeah, that's all we want. So, we just want, we just want to see effort. Yeah, uh, and if that means that. We, we, we take a humping from Chelsea, but we've given it our all, then so be it. Chelsea's sort of a free hit, and it's also a free hit in the respect of you've got West Hammer playing Chelsea on Wednesday, so tomorrow as this goes out, 
Bournemouth are playing Newcastle tomorrow as well as this goes out. And then Liverpool have got Aston Villa. So, again, we're very lucky with those fixtures. Yeah. But... And look, yeah, anything I... can happen in football. We we beat Liverpool. <laughs> We're the only side who's beaten Liverpool this season. Knowing us, mm, we've, put, we've put in a poor performance against Burnley. We weren't great against Leicester, but managed to get an equaliser. We were atrocious against Southampton. Knowing Watford, we'll probably go Stamford Bridge and get a result. But I'm yeah. not getting too excited. I'm more excited about getting a haircut Saturday than I am about the Chelsea <laughs> game. Yeah, no, um, I, I, I think I'm with you on that, to be honest. And uh, those are the sort of things that... Uh, a lot more exciting than football at the moment. Are we doing a score prediction this week? Um, do you know what? Yeah. Um, let's go with... I'll go first because I always throw you under the bus and go first uh, and make you go first. I am going to go... I'm hoping that the players have learnt their lesson. They're going to actually give it some fight. They're going to give it some. Chelsea are hot on form at the moment. I'm going to go... It's usually quite high scoring with us and Chelsea. I'm going to go three two to Chelsea. Oh, you? I want to say we. I always think uh, we're going to get something out of every match. It's just how I feel. Have about you what, said always... we're going to win every time that we've been on a podcast? Because if you have, I'm maybe gonna... switch it off a bit. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually thinking that we'll probably go over and get a one-one draw. I'll take that. I will take that. I will take the dullest nil-nil you have ever seen in your life. Yeah, let's park so, the bus. Um, yeah, park the bus. Come on, Pearson. If you're listening, come on, mate. And I'm if, sure if he it is. does come off, yeah, I'm sure he is. If it does come off, me and Ben, our DMs are open. If you need an extra pair of hands on the coaching staff, we're there for <laughs> you, buddy. Um, but yeah, no. Before we uh, before we wrap it up, because we've been a little bit longer than I, I perhaps wanted to, but I think a lot needed covering because a lot is going on at the moment. Uh, we've run our first competition. I just want to hold my hands up now. And I will, like Ben Foster, and I will take the, the flack on this one. It was our first ever competition. And with podcasts that I've been on previously uh, and worked with, it's generally been, you know, received a lot more greater than it has been. And it's sort of taken off a little bit more. So I was very naive with the fact that we're very, very new to this. So, yeah, we, we, we had to change it up and we had to go simple. So thanks to everyone that retweeted us retweeted the tweet and followed us as well. Um, the winner is Michael Thomas. So thank you very much, Michael, uh, for entering. And thanks to everyone that entered. Uh, congratulations, Michael. We'll drop you a DM to let you know what's going on and we'll sort that prize out for you. Um, you've the winner of the 1984 Iveco print uh, from, courtesy from our friends over at Six Yards Out. Um, they are... We are hoping that there's going to be a few more giveaways um, in the near, not so distant future. So, you know, please don't unfollow us. You know, we we always putting out content and whatnot. And like I say, there'll be there'll be some more prizes along the way. But if this is your fourth time listening to us, if this is your first time, we thank you very much for your uh, your support and the feedback we've been getting is absolutely brilliant. We we cannot do what we do without your feedback. So. Whether it's good or bad, drop me or Ben a message. If you don't want to drop the podcast a message, drop Ben a message. Drop me a message. We will take everything on board. If you want us to discuss certain things, we will take it on board and discuss it. So we just want to say thank you for the feedback that we've received so far. It's very, very good. And I'm sure Ben echoes what I say on that. Um, But, yeah, I think that's probably the the best place to leave it. Um, 
we've got a tough trip, Stamford Bridge on the horizon next. We are going to be with you again later this week to preview the Chelsea game. Uh, a tweet will be put out in the coming, well, in the coming days of when that podcast will be available. So tune into that one. But thank you very much for listening. And hopefully next time we speak to you, it will be off the back of a point after fighting really hard for it, or maybe even better, three points. But the bottom line is, we just want you, we just want the lads to put in a performance that's worthy of wearing the shirt. So come on, you wards, and hopefully we get some points soon. Thanks for listening. Podcast Network.